Amen. Glad to have everybody here this morning. I got a message. I got a message. All right. Okay. Bring it. <laughs> all right. You're all in a good mood this morning. That's good. Praise the Lord. I was sitting on things, and, and, and uh, I just my own business and how the Lord can drop things in your heart and, and begin to share stuff with you. And uh, it's, it's interesting. And then I can get one statement from God. Somebody else can say it. All of a sudden, that one statement will stand out, and I can build a whole series of messages on it. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's not a series, but what I want to talk about this morning, I think this is a key thing that I, I, I always ask the Lord. I says, when I preach a message, I says, let it be for today. This isn't something that's for the future. This isn't something that we've already been through, but this is something that we can relate to right now. In uh, going forward, and he's always been faithful to do that. I want to talk about the measurement of breakthrough this morning. Uh, is there anybody in here that, in the sanctuary or even by live stream uh, that is going through something they really need a breakthrough in? Does anybody know what I'm talking about with breakthrough? Raise your hand if you need a breakthrough in something. Okay, praise the Lord. Amen. So, um, amen. It, it could be different things, different uh, challenges in life, but uh, how many know God brings the breakthrough? What I noticed, I noticed in, in, in Scripture and some of the things that Jesus has said, uh, but the thing is what I noticed is that the, the way we handle opposition determines the measure of glory God places on us. I've shared that before with you. The way we handle the opposition is basically uh, it, it, a measure, uh, God measures his glory back according to that. The measure of the presence and breakthrough is directly connected to what we've become. Amen? Uh, so I'm going to head towards that direction this morning. I'll clarify as we go along. Uh, but uh, in, uh, notice in this, in Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus says this. Uh, he said, uh, I'll just take the statement out of that whole thing. He said, he said, the same measure you use, it will be measured to you again. In other words, with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back. He said that a couple of different times uh, in, in the New Testament. Uh, one time, of course, the scripture in Luke chapter 38, we use for offerings and stuff. We talk about giving. He said, given and shall be given unto you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, it shall be put in your bosom. It's sure last week that the bosom is, is uh, uh, the apron where they, where they collect stuff. That's what it's talking about. Uh, bigger your apron, the more stuff you can collect. <laughs> so we, we've got that down for us. But he says this, he says, with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. In other words, as we give God our bosom or give him that thing, you, he'll fill it up. So your abundance depends on what you're going to give God to fill. Are we, are we clear? Are we clear? Because this is where I'm going with the message. But let me clarify one thing first. This is not what I'm saying. What I'm not saying, I'll give you that first before I get on with the message. We're not saying, John chapter 3 says, God does not give out his spirit by measure. So we're not talking about the spirit of God. We're talking about everything that was attached to life that we go through. The spirit of God, however, is not given out by measure. It is poured out. Matter of fact, that scripture I just quoted was John the Baptist said this when he said it about Christ. God didn't hold back nothing when it came to his spirit. Everything was given. However, when we're going through things, we're filled with the Spirit. We're, we got all the Spirit of God. We got the salvation that He gives us. We're, we're walking the path, but we still run into oppositions. How we measure up to that opposition is how God can bless us back with the weight of His glory and according to the measure that we give Him to work with. Does that help anybody? 
Okay, some of you are looking at us, you're looking at me like, what the heck's he talking about? Hang in there, hang in there. Rome wasn't built in a day. Of course, I wasn't pushing that Rome job, but praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so this is what Jesus is saying. He said, the measure that you use, it'll be measured back. What happens is the circumstances that we go through are actually changing our life if we go through them properly. Now, this is not what I'm saying. God does not create the circumstances, period. It is clear in John 10 that Jesus said, the thief comes but to still kill and destroy, but I came to give you life, life more abundant. End of story. So anything that's coming against your life is not God-inspired. It is demonically inspired. However, what God says, he takes, and of course this is where the uh, Romans 8.38 comes in because all things work to our good. Even the things that don't look like it's working to our good, this is where it's going to work to our good because God said it'll work to our good. He'll take those things, but in the process of our struggles and, and, and things that we push against, God is using it to grow us up. And what he's doing, he's the, why does he want to grow us up? He's a heavenly father who loves his children. He wants his children to grow up because the more we grow, the more he can deposit. But he can't give you more than you're able to bear, even of his glory and of his goodness. Do you understand that? Okay, I, I'll put down, a, uh, this is another thing I wrote down. Uh, our approach to difficulties in life prepares us for increase, period. Our approach to difficulties is preparing us for increase. Don't look at it as the devil coming to steal because the thief has been called out and he's been stopped by the authority of Christ. So now the things that we face in the opposition, uh, in other words, let, let, me give, let me put it to you this way. Handling loss well prepares us for gain. All right? Uh, uh, handling disappointment well, we don't always handle that well, but handling disappointment well prepares us for fulfillment. Handling criticism well, uh-huh, hallelujah, don't aim it, don't shout me down because I'm preaching it. Amen. <laughs> handling criticism well prepares us for being trusted with praise. Why do we have to be trusted for praise? Because you know as well that your praise will puff you up and pride comes before fall. Amen? So handling it, handling it well, we can be entrusted with praise. Handling betrayal, well, handling betrayal well prepares us to be loyal friends. Hmm. The Lord is always checking to see what measure of breakthrough or what measure of glory we can handle. You interested so far? Uh, praise the Lord. I'm going to say this one part again. Handling betrayal, betrayal, how we handle it well, prepares us to be loyal friends. Betrayal is one of the hardest things to be difficult. You remember how Jesus handled betrayal? Judas comes up to him. He says, do what you got to do. He says, you're betraying your master with a kiss? Okay, do what you have to do. And he did. Jesus did what he had to do. There wasn't no yelling, screaming, lecturing, or, or, or I'm never going to talk to you again. <laughs> but he basically says, okay, you got your part. Go ahead and do it. Take your best shot. Isn't it amazing how reserved Christ was in facing the opposition he was about to face? Amen. And the measure of glory God poured out, the Father poured out on him, and now that he pours out back on us. So God is looking for that. So that's what I'm talking about this morning. We're not talking about a measure of his Holy Spirit or the measure of his presence. Now, God doesn't hold anything back. 
what we're looking at, we're facing certain problems and situations. Anybody in here facing problems and situations? Okay, how we handle this next challenge is going to determine the measure that God can bless back and fix it for us and turn it around to our good. It's going to be turned back to our good. Amen? And the measure that we give God. Uh, another example I wanted to share in this same, because that's, that's a kingdom principle. But do you remember the parable in Matthew chapter 25, the parables of the talents? What did the, 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 the owner of the, of the servants or the, the owner of the land, the servants work for, was, of course, a type of the father. So if we look at that as the father, the father gave the first servant uh, five talents, the second servant two talents, and then, of course, the last servant one talent. They didn't have equal amounts, did they? But they were supposed to bring equal giftings according to what they've been given. So there was a guy with a five talents. He went out and he invested that five talents, talents a form of money, by the way. So he invested that and got five more. The second guy with the, with the two talents did the same. He took those two talents. He invested them. That was his measure. That's the measure God gave him. And so he came back and he doubled that measure. Now, the third guy, he didn't do that at all. He took the one talent, buried it in the earth because he thought, well, he was just going to give back the talent and, 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 and no uh, foul, no, no loss, but there's also no gain. And basically, he got according to the measure that he gave to the master. He received back the measure that he had given. He gave nothing, he received back nothing. Matter of fact, he lost what he had. And listen to this. The master gave the one talent to the guy who had the five. Why? Well, he's, all, both of them doubled their money, but I'm going to give it to the guy with the most because he seemed to be the most trusted with the most that I gave him. So the other guy, he, he lost his job. He was out of the whole picture because he did nothing with what God has given him. And that's probably one of the biggest tragedies in the Christian faith is God giving giftings and talents and people use them for their own gain in the world, but they never use them for the gain of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, so that's where, that's where I'm going. So this is a kingdom principle. Uh, the, the early church, I'm going to talk a little about the early church this morning. The early church uh, learned to navigate opposition uh, that brings increase as a key to breakthrough. It's amazing. Now, let me, let me give you a little, this is a side note for, for God so you know. Uh, basically, how many know if you look at the children of Israel, in the wilderness, God did everything for them. He rained down manna, that's how they ate. He caused their clothes to grow with them and never to wear out. That was supernatural. Everything was supernatural. The children of Israel knew nothing but Supernatural. But how many know the wilderness was not where they're supposed to live? The wilderness was supposed to get them to where they're supposed to live. So God sees advancement not as him pouring out all these miracles so you don't have to do anything but just collect the manna every morning, which has never been God's plan from the beginning. That may be a temporary situation because if without that you would probably die, or they would anyway. But the whole idea was on that journey to bring you to a place called the promised land that he promised you. Now, this is advancement. How many would agree that they read that story that Joshua was advancement? It was not decline. It was advancement. How many would agree? Raise your hand if that's advancement. It's not a trick question. It's advancement. You can raise your hand. Sheesh. Amen? Not a trick question. 
But understand the different conditions. As soon as they crossed the River Jordan, which was split, by the way, and they all, all 12 tribes, they brought their own rock, and he made an altar on the other side in the Promised Land, so all generations could see what happened. There, they brought the Ark of the Covenant across, and there the manna stopped. Stopped cold. Nothing. And God said, well, how are we supposed to eat? This is your land. This is the promised land. What I want you to do now, till the ground. So what happens in the wilderness, it was totally supernatural, but in the, in the promised land, there was both supernatural and natural in works. This is where we live today. We are not in the wilderness. We are in the promised land. And God uses both the natural and the supernatural to produce for his children. Amen? So when we pray for people, we, uh, uh, Rebecca announced the, the harp and ball. When I pray for people, uh, we're faith people. We believe God heals the body. But we don't condemn the person who goes to the doctor or the hospital because why? We're in, the, we're in the promised land. What we pray, we pray that God through those people will bring his miracle to pass and will even amaze those people. Amen? And it'd be a testimony. No, I'm not against it. We're not against natural things. We're not against going out and earning money for a job. Matter of fact, we encourage it because God encourages it. So that's where we stand. Okay, so this is where we are. So praise the Lord. So, so in the wilderness, yeah, you're a wilderness person. You're, you're a baby. You need everything handed to you. Then you're going to complain about that. Isn't it amazing that the one thing they've done, I mean, they've, they've made an idol when Moses went up on a mountain and they, they, and they made a golden, they were worshiping the golden image. But they're 400 years as slaves in Egypt and they're just coming out. Now, God kind of, he didn't like that, but Moses took care of it. We got that thing under control. It seemed to be everything God just kind of bit his lip on and said, okay, they're my kids and they've got to learn until they started complaining. Then he says, get aside, Moses. Stand aside, I'm going to wipe them out. <laughs> Why was the complaining? Because there was no measure ever given by them. But yet demand, 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 demand every single day without one stinking measure given back to God for his glory. That it seemed to be the, the whole, of course, Moses stepped in and said, remember your covenant with Abraham. All right, but they're not getting into the promise. I'm taking the next generation in, and that's it. And they wandered around until they died for 40 years in the wilderness. This 40 years marks one generation. So it seemed like God can put up with all kinds of stuff, but when it comes to whining and complaining, I don't have this, I don't have that, I need this, I need that, I don't have this. God says, okay, step aside. <laughs> Where's the measure so I can move and give them the things that they're complaining about, but there's no measure there. That's what we're talking about this morning. So what happens when, when disappointment comes? Well, how we handle that disappointment is going to change. And it's going to determine how we can handle the abundance. When we handle the lack, we handle it well. It's going to determine how we handle the abundance. So basically it comes down to our attitude, not of the circumstances, but our attitude in the circumstances. I don't like to use that word attitude. When I was raising my kids, they hated that word. Because they always had one. <laughs> and they didn't like dad pointing it out. <laughs> but the fact is, this is, this is what it is. Are we, are we okay so far? Yes. I noticed this early church. 
And this is something I picked up this week. Interesting fact. How many remember Stephen in the Bible? Stephen? We'll talk about Stephen. Stephen is, is remarkable. We have no idea what Stephen has done. We will after today. But if you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 59 and 60, I'm going to read, I'm going to read that particular verse right there. Stephen was the first deacon in the church. Just a deacon. Wasn't a pastor, wasn't a five-fold ministry, just a deacon. But he was, he was the first deacon, and he went around, and the, prop, the, the, the job of the deacon was to see that widows and orphans had enough food, had enough, same, remember the church was sustaining itself uh, by what it received, and this is how it is. Under that, uh, before the time, well, if you look at the book of Acts from chapter 2 to chapter 9, you will see a great persecution of the church in those chapters. So it started out in the day of Pentecost, like I shared with you earlier. The day of Pentecost, you had those people that criticized. Those people that criticized turned and spread the news about what was happening, the miracles happening, going against them. And basically it, caused, it, 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 it shook up the Sanhedrin and the, the inner circles of the temple to where they wanted them destroyed. Okay? Remember, you remember Saul, which later turned to Paul. Well, this is where he was the very persecutor. Stephen was there. And, of course, Saul, we know, was the accuser. How do we know that? Well, if you leave the story, let's, let me go ahead and read the story. And they stoned Stephen, and he was called on God. Well, let me get back up first of all. First of all, if you set the setting, you got one man there holding all the coats. Either they're laying at his feet or he's holding them in his hand. That's a key in the Bible. He's the accuser. And he accused Stephen of blasphemy. This was a stoning effect according to the law of Moses, blaspheming the Holy Spirit by doing the work that God called him to do. They, they, they drag you out. They tie you up. Uh, I was talking to this leader, some leadership. One of the leaders said, I think it was Jason, said sometimes they bury you waist deep so you can't get away, and then they just pelt you with rocks. Because I figured this way. I said, you know, if somebody threw a rock at me, I'm not gonna, my first instinct probably won't pray for him. I'm going to pick it up and throw it back with accuracy. <laughs> so I imagine they tied their hands so that couldn't happen. They, I mean, they had this thing down. But uh, the fact is, but, but they stoned Stephen as he called on God. Listen to what, he, what this man who's dying says. They stoned Stephen, and he was called on God and, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In verse 6, he says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he has said this, he fell asleep. It's interesting because basically when he said that, if you read the scripture, Jesus stood up. Remember, he went to heaven. He was ascended. He was sat at the right hand of the Father. The Bible basically says he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. In Stephen's vision, he saw the Son of God standing in heaven. Standing. What happens when a, a, a reigning king sits? He can rule from that position. But when he's standing, we're going to war. When he's standing, we're resisting. Jesus was in the posture of somebody's going to pay for this. But he wasn't going to rain down fire. Instead, he looked around, saw the coats being piled at the feet of a man called Saul. He was the greatest persecutor. He had within his hand the order from the Sanhedrin 
to go ahead and kill or stone everybody who blasphemed, which was all the Christians that were following Christ and preaching his message throughout, which they had no choice to do. And he was there as the main persecutor. The death, that prayer of Stephen's changed the entire season for the church at that time. Because from, from, like I said, from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 9, there was massive persecution. And they were going, they were going to church anyway. Nothing's going to stop us. Amen. Amen. Nothing's going to stop us from going here. We don't care. Hey, uh, understand what kept this church going. God gave me this scripture a few years ago, and I, I started looking at it and comparing our church with this particular scripture. It was, uh, scripture is Acts 2.42. And this is what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's number one. There's four things here. Uh, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Breaking of bread would be communion. This is what we do in Harp and Bowl. This is what we do all the time. Uh, next Sunday will be the first Sunday of the month. We'll do it publicly on live stream. We'll, do it, uh, uh, we'll take communion. And I looked at this. I said, the church does a pretty good job at doctrine. That's just teachings. Uh, the apostles' doctrines were the teachings of the apostles. At that time, they were sharing. You've got to understand, uh, Jesus gave new revelations since the Torah. So the, the apostles were spreading the news about Christ and what Jesus had told them. That was the apostles' doctrine or teachings, the word doctrine's teachings, and fellowship and breaking of bread. I said, you know, we do, we do the doctrines. We got do I mean, doctrines are, are, are every church's prize. Uh, uh, if we look at breaking of bread, communion, that's every church's prize. And prayer, who do, what? Who, who, what Christian doesn't pray? We all pray, but where's the fellowship? And I look that word up in the Greek. I'm going to need Maria's help on this one probably, but praise the Lord. In the Greek, and that word means, that word, okay, don't laugh at me. I'm going to do the best I can with Greek. Koinonia. Fellowship. Bravo. Really? Bravo. Hallelujah. Pretty good. Man, I tell you what. See, I've, I've said it that way for years. I only didn't have a Greek scholar with me just, just recently. Praise the Lord. And here's what it means. And Maria, you always have permission to weigh in on anything Greek. But praise the Lord. It says, it says listen, it says this. It talks about a partnership. It talks about participation. It talks about benefaction, communication. But let me boil it all down. A bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians together to Christ serving one another. That's powerful. This is what fellowship does. You take fellowship out of that, you've got every, every common religion under the sun. But common religion doesn't pray. But common religion doesn't have some kind of teaching from somebody, guru or whatever. But fellowship, to bind together to serve Christ, this is something different. They serve one another, encouraging each other, working together to carry out the vision God has revealed to his church. That's what it means. That's what they were doing. And what they were doing is in Acts 2.42, they were under immense persecution, and this is what bound the church together under persecution. I looked at this years ago, and I said, we're missing fellowship. Looks like every other church is. I said, we're going to have fellowship. Don't know what it's supposed to look like. I know what it means. Let's try to get it done. So at that time, we used to have fellowship every week. We did, every Friday night was fellowship night. We had fr Friday night. Well, we didn't have the harp and bowl and stuff like that. We just had the fellowship and then we had the Sunday service. But the fact that, but now we do fellowship at the last Sunday of every month, which is today. So you all get in on fellowship. Now you know what you're going over there for. Amen. Besides eating. Oh, we're all getting, come on, we're going to eat. 
we put the Baptists to shame. We'll eat. I mean, praise the Lord. But, but, but that's, that's, that's giving itself. But there's a purpose for it. We interact with one another. We encourage one another. We bind each other together as the body of Christ. We work together. We, we, we pray together. We shoulder the load of the ministry here in Key West together. It's not, it, no one person can do it. God didn't set it up that way. Amen? Are we getting anything so far? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Maria, for your input there. You keep my Greek straightened out. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, the whole New Testament is full of Greek. Amen. So anyway, so, so this is it. Isn't it amazing, in Acts chapter 4, Peter's persecuted. And he's taken from the temple area, and he's arrested because he was laying hands and healing sick people, and he was preaching about this doctrine of Christ. He's abused, he's put in prison, and then what happens is he gets out of prison. So what Peter does, he gets all the people together and says, you know what, I paid my dues. I'm just going to let the Lord take me home. I'm not going through that again. That's too difficult. I can't withstand. The, Roman, the Romans have just beat us. Let's just face it. We, we're, we're hopeless. Is that what he said? No. This is what the nut says. I mean, that's what the world says. This guy's crazy. He says, Lord, and he begins to pray, Acts, 2, uh, Acts 4, 20, uh, verse 29. He said, now, Lord, <laughs> look on their threats. Do you see what we're seeing here? You see what they're saying about us. Lord, look at that. And listen to what he says. Grant your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word. Why does he want boldness? Where we're not going to shrink for a little bit of pain or discomfort. Matter of fact, we're going to turn up the heat and we're going to do it all the more. I'm going right back where they arrested me and I'm doing it again. In bold defiance, that was the early church under persecution. The persecution, how they managed and handled the persecution, opened it up for great blessings. Supernatural healings were taking place and supernatural blessings. That's how God responded to the measure that they gave him when it came to breakthrough. That was how he responded. No, we're not backing off. And no, we're not shutting down. And no, we're not not, uh, gonna shrink into some secret place. We're gonna run out in the open. Go ahead, take your best shot because we're not shutting up. All that until we get back to Stephen and Stephen is stoned and this is like the last straw. Stephen, sitting there, about to take his last breath, knowing this is the last thing I'm going to say on earth. And this is what he says. Forgive them of their sins. And gave up the ghost. Jesus says, you got it. You got it. And he looks around. This is is my take on it. I see Jesus up in heaven looking around. Ah, there's the guy with the coat. You're marked. You are mine. He didn't kill the man. He didn't call down fire from heaven. Remember last week? As a, prayers that God won't answer? <laughs> they kicked us out of Samaria. Let's call down fire like Elijah did. No, we didn't come here to kill anybody. We came here to save people. <laughs> and Jesus just kind of calmly mulls it over. No, wrong measure. But when Stephen gave his last breath, 
and asking God to forgive the very ones that were throwing stones, he navigated the persecution very well. And in navigating the persecution, and that means gave God, now I'm going to give you my full force. And he showed up in person because of Stephen's prayer. He showed up in person, eyeball to eyeball on the road of Damascus to one high horse riding Saul who was knocked off and blinded. And everybody that was with him heard. They didn't see what Paul saw, but they heard what Paul heard. What was that? Paul said, I don't know, but I'm done. And he went and given, and then God, of course, Jesus talks to another man by the name of Ananias, says, you go lay hands on him. He says, no, he's a persecutor. Not anymore. And what did Jesus say? He's my vessel. He's my vessel? How? He's my vessel now because Stephen over here gave him to me. In managing well the breakthrough that the church needed, and managing well, managing that prayer, now lifted for a season lifted and a season of peace came on upon the church because the main persecutor was taken out. Now the main persecutor, who was the hated, most hated man, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we're reading today. When God's full weight of his glory can be deposited because somebody else unselfishly releases that onto somebody else, guess what? They don't have a chance. And the power, full force power of God came upon Saul and he now changed his name to Paul, the more related to the Gentiles because that was part of his call. And then what happens, he goes, goes and he writes, starts writing Bible and starts giving revelation. He had the finest revelation when it came to communion and what it was all about. Finest revelation in just about everything. He wrote letters to the Thessalonica church, had the best revelation on the rapture. Two thirds of the New Testament was written by this guy who was a persecutor. Jesus showed up in person. That was the measure that Stephen gave to God. And that measure given to God, now God said, I can co-labor. See, in the promise, God desires to co-labor. He could do everything himself. Let's face it, he could wipe it out. He could fix this earth. He'd done it before. But he doesn't. What happens is he's, he's bent on us having a free will and surrendering to him. And in that free will, surrendering to him, he's able to show his full force and power in the measure that we give him. If you want to be just a little bit saved, that's all you're ever going to be is a little bit saved. And you're going to be dumb to most of the things God has for you. His spirit is always filled, so it's there. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, never get it in portion. It's there. It's already been poured out. It's nothing to hold back. The only problem is with the individual. And you can't yield yourself to salvation. How do you get a little bit saved? You either are or you ain't. <laughs> There's no halfway in between. You don't get a little bit saved. And God is not counting your good works because you don't have any as far as he's concerned until you are saved and doing what he's called you to do. I share this a lot, but the fact is, if you're in a problem that you're in, okay, because you messed up or you sinned or you screwed up somehow, and that has caused the problem to come to you, then you don't have the equipment within your hands to fix that until you first, by repentance, work your way back to the grace of God and the empowerment of God to go ahead and fix it. 
Now, however, if you're in that mess because you are following the voice of God, doing the best you can to try to determine what God wants to do, well, then already in your hand is the way of fixing it. Just use it. You determine which, which situation you're in. Either way, God has given you a way out. How well you manage that, even if you have to be, repent and go back, and how well you do that and manage that is going to determine the measure God is going to handle stuff on the outside. Not as far as your salvation is concerned. Jesus died, number one, for your healing at that whipping post. Number two, he was, he was crucified so for your redemption. Those prices were paid. It doesn't matter what you believe or I believe. It doesn't matter what you see in the world. Okay? The fact is, Jesus can't unpay for those things that he paid for. Amen. So whether you believe it or not, or whether you, oh, that's, this is nonsense. Well, good for you, it's nonsense then. Your measure is like zip. <laughs> so enjoy life. And at the end, you'll die. Praise the Lord. It's always amazing to me, at every hospital visit I go to the pastor, every dying person I go to, amen, they want to know. Where am I going to wind up? They always want to know that question. Why? You're not a believer. You don't know Christ. Where do you think you're going? There's only one place. There's only two places. You only got two choices. I'm either going to find my way in with Christ and I'm going to do what I'm doing. I just pray in this next revival that these young kids that are giving their heart to the Lord, I think is absolutely super. Don't stop there. Keep pressing on until you find the things that God really has for you because he's doing this because you have a call of God on your life. Amen. And get under mentorship that will hold you and help you find that place. I thank God for my mentors. I would have never known I had any kind of preaching uh, bent at all or anything, let alone wind up in a place like called Key West. Amen. I remember the first six months I was here, I was asking God, how long has I got to stay here? After a year, I'm ready to go home. I said, isn't this enough? I think we, we do all we can do. He says, he says, Kevin, he says, you can go anytime you want to. You can start another church someplace. This is the second one you started. You know how to do it. He says, and I'll bless any church you start. But now, if the question is, where do you want me, what you want my heart? He says, you'll stay here and you'll plant yourself. I didn't believe it was God. I thought it was the devil. He's trying to trap me. Until I went to a CI conference and a woman didn't even know me. She got up and prophesied. She said, there's a couple from Key West here. I stood up, you know, there's all pastors there. And she says, God told me to tell you, you're homesteading. Now, we hadn't talked about any of this except in the car on the way up there. He said, you're in Key West, homesteading. I remember the word. I don't remember all. She said a bunch of other stuff I got in a recording. But that, when she said homesteading, oh, I didn't know if I was to get up and dance and shout. Or cry all the way home <laughs> from disappointment. I don't know. I was conflicted. All I know, if that was the word of the Lord, I'm going to give him my measure. And my measure is this. Amen. Diane, you, you all know this, but Diane and I, we scuba dive. Uh, this is our recreation. We love scuba dive. I've been a scuba diver for 36 years or whatever. And what I've learned over the years, I've got 1,100 plus dives uh, under my belt. But what I, what I learned about this, if you're going to be good at it, you've got to keep doing it. It's like playing golf. I tried that. 
I don't know how anyone wants to play golf. I have got to buy a new pair of golf clubs every time I get done wrapping mine around a tree. Uh, but, uh, you know, but some people like it, I guess. But the fact is, you've you got to keep good at it. And I got thinking about this a couple, a day, about a week or so ago. We got into a, a situation. It was a rough current. And there was nothing we had. We drifted before. For some reason, it stressed my wife out. She was stressed out. And I, we, we didn't have no problems. We just went back to the boat. She says, well, I didn't really care for that dive. I, I, I know you like the calm, pristine dives with 100-foot visibility, and you can drift and watch all the little fishies swim by. Boring to me. I'm a wreck diver. Okay, I like to dive deep. I like to dive wreck, wrecks and so on and so forth. And, uh, but and she dives with me. But I says, you know, realize, I says, to get good at this sport, it isn't going to be the pristine going to Grand Cayman or Cayman Islands to where you have just beautiful conditions all the time, no current, blue water. It's boring. I don't know, but anyway. Uh, uh, but you, here we get, it's these challenging dives. When you've got a ripping current on the wreck of Vandenberg out there and, and you've got five foot of visibility, you can't see nothing and it's pushing you in one direction and you've got to find your way around. That's the dives that makes a good diver. That's a dive because if you do run into trouble, you have to now remember your emergency procedures so you don't kill yourself. And those are the ones that make it. But we don't like those dives. We don't like opposition. Come on, I'm like anybody else. Amen? I don't like the, op- I don't like the challenging things. But those are the places. And it's the, the, it's the memories of, of, of when starting this church and, and, and the things we had to combat. And, and, and in the day, oh, in the daycare was a whole other line of stuff. And, and, and people would do stuff like if they didn't want to pay their bill, they would call DCF to investigate us and claim child abuse. I'm not paying my bill for child abuse. Of course, there was no child abuse. It was just lies. And people would lie about just stabbing in the back. Let me tell you, after six months, I said, let's cut her loose. I'm done. I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. And God says, how are you going to manage that? To that, all those struggles and tri- tribulations, to now finally develop in a heart for these kids, and we are now the only daycare center in Monroe County that's from Key West to Key Largo that is qualified by the state and so on, all the other qualifications that can take kids with autism. Because that's one thing that really bothered me. I wanted to, wanted to help kids with autism. And we're the only center. But we hung in there. And we went through all the lies. Because the lies were exposed. And they didn't ever make anything. Amen. I remember one time they had picket signs out there. And papers and all this other stuff. Because of this disgruntled employee. Uh, Jennifer, our director, got all the parents together. And we didn't go down in numbers. We increased. Amen. We give God our measure. And he gave us his. So what I'm telling you this morning is by experience. Amen? By experience. This is what we're saying. How well we manage the criticism is going to determine how well we manage everything else. How well, how much we let people get to us will determine our next blessing. Are we going to hold back from God because somebody ticked us off? Then the devil's got your number. Amen? I got six minutes. I can do this. I can close this out. Another scripture God gave me this, uh, this week was, you all know this one. It's Matthew chapter 4. Our best example is Jesus. Would you agree? Yeah. 
I noticed something about the enemy in this thing that was repeated over and over again in this, in this story. Jesus is led out into the wilderness, not by the devil, but by the Spirit. Read In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, capital S, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, therefore he was hungry, and he said, the tempter came to him and said to him, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be bread. That was what he said to him. The devil said to Jesus, if you be the son of God. Jesus gave an answer. Then the devil took him on a holy place in a pinnacle and said to him, if you, be the, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And Jesus answered him. And he went back to another again. And the devil says, he says, I will give you everything that I can give you. It's under my power if you fall down and worship me. Each time Jesus responded with the word of God. But do you see what the, see what the questioning was? Now, let's back up a little bit. What happened before that? Jesus stepped in the river Jordan. He was baptized by John. And the heavens opened up. A figure like a dove fell upon him. And a booming voice came out of heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Was there any doubt of his identification? Then why did the devil go there? Think about identity today and how it's been interpreted today. Who's behind that? In other words, a guy can be a guy, a girl can be a girl, and they can switch it. I don't, I'm not a guy anymore because I identify as being a girl. I'm not a girl because I identify as being a guy. And basically, our identification says who we are according to society. So isn't it amazing that, they, that the devil's still attacking identity? Jesus wouldn't bite. He didn't care. He didn't even answer if he was the son of God or not to the devil. Well, let's go back over a little bit. He said this. He said, if you be the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He attacked him back with the word. Then the devil took him on to the holy city. He sent him up on a pinnacle. He says to him, if you be the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now he's going to quote scripture. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over you in their hands. Lest you, dash, lest you bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus says to him again, written again, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. So what was he attacking? His identity. The final identity test that Satan could give to him. He said, if you bow down and worship me, though, that's a big one with God. Thou shalt know how no other gods before me. If I can get him to do this, then it will be end of all of it. He will be mine. And Jesus says, no. Get you behind me. Leave. Well, I'll tell you exactly what he said. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, only him shall you serve. The devil came out with his measure, and Jesus presented his measure, the full measure of God. The devil come again with the measure, and Jesus gave him full measure. When it says Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil, it's a hard one to take. Why would the devil? Because God isn't looking to skirt adversity. He's looking ahead, head, head on. Here's what I personally believe you can get your conclusion. Jesus was led into the wilderness not to be tempted of the devil, as they say, as much as it was to hand the devil his stinking head. In other words, Jesus, I see Jesus as entering into spiritual warfare that nobody can conquer, and the flesh being about as weak as you can get after 40 days of not eating. 
almost on the pinnacle of death, you might say, can stand there with the strength of the Spirit and just hand the devil his head. Amen? So now the Spirit led him, which we know Jesus didn't do anything that was against the Father. So the Father said, okay, son, here, take them on. Instead, we're shrinking back as his church looking for the easy life, and the Father's saying, come on, take them on. I've given you the power. I've given you my measure. Now give me your measure, and let's be together and co-labor together, and let's take this city. Let's take this problem. Because now what happens, I've given you prayer, I've given you doctrine, I've given you fellowship, I've given you breaking your bread. I've given you all these things that come together. Now we can reinforce one another and stand in the strength of that, giving God our measure and God meeting it with his measure. So we're not alone. Praise the Lord. I got more, but I got to stop because I got 44 seconds to conclude this thing. <laughs> I may have got something out of the message this morning. Yes. Praise the Lord. Amen. And this is what I saw. Right away, I started checking my life. Am I giving God my full measure? And I see things just like anybody. I could, I could do better here. I could do better there. I could do better there. Amen? Didn't realize what God was doing, but he kept whispering to me years ago, revival, revival, revival. He was telling me what he's going to do in the earth today. And I just didn't put it all together. I picked up the guitar when I was a teenager. I played in a rock and roll bands before I was a Christian. I played in several rock and roll bands because uh, I heard that's the best way to impress girls. <laughs> <laughs> and when I became a Christian, that thing became an instrument of my past. I just put it aside. I wouldn't pick it up again. Until I started a church. Well, I didn't have but a handful of people, and I didn't have any music. And so basically, I said, okay, well, I went to our music leader in the church. I said, can you give me some sheet music, simple chords? I said, I can play, I'll pick up and try to get my dexterity back and do all those things. And sure. And they gave me that, and I started playing guitar until somebody came into the church. My son learned how to play the keyboard. He was playing the keyboard for a while, and we'd get people, and then i put the guitar aside. And it was only about a year or so ago, I guess it was, and I'm looking at the guitar sitting in the corner of my office, and I said, I said I'm going to pull it out again. I said, and I'm going to use it to worship, because I really felt like the, the, the bend to get into worship with God. So I took a guitar home. I had to get it worked on and get it fixed and all this stuff. Got it all back together, and, and it sounded great. And I sat there, and I just started getting into a worship, free worship, and working on my dexterity. And I heard God say, he's bringing it to the church. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I don't know. And I'm pal like you do. Don't look at me like judgmental. I know how, I've seen your faces. <laughs> we went to the church, and he said, I want you to do harp and bowl. Show me to Revelation chapter 5. Yeah. And the elders came, and in the bowl, they had the prayers that they presented, and they all carried a harp. We were missing something in our prayer. We were missing the music along with the prayer and prayer requests. So I said, okay, well... I don't have a live keyboard player. A keyboard's playing by, by the computer. It isn't going to fit. It's kind of, so I started playing guitar. Lo and behold, God started anointing that. A couple of weeks ago, God said, you're still missing something. Give me your, give me your measure. That's what I'm doing. So all the measures, he says, he said, as people are passing the mic around the circle, and we, we take communion, and we pass the mic, and as they're given a prayer needs, we have the prayer needs flashing up on the screen of all the different ones that called in. 
we come to, it's our time of coming together. And, and he says, uh, so I would just play guitar softly in the background, background music. And then he says, start singing in the spirit. And uh, so I did. I just started singing in the spirit. I got done. I said, Lord, I said, what was that about? I mean, you, I, you were directing me. Am I doing something wrong? Am I missing something? He says, when you sing in the spirit or when you pray in the spirit, he said, it's the only time I can pull all the things together in perfect unity. God was directing me. Thank <laughs> you, Jesus. He was teaching me how to increase my measure. Uh, something I, uh, years ago I despised. I just threw it I, I, that's my past. Now God brought it back out for his glory. And he says, with praying in tongues, we don't have, our mind is unfruitful. We don't have a, a, a per, we don't understand what we're saying. But because of that, God takes that prayer. See what happens, our spirit is actually praying and our intellect is unfruitful. So the spirit prays directly to God. With everybody having an idea on how to pray, and some of them, are, you know, we, we get some of these, not biblical prayers a lot of times, but we do our best and it's pretty good. Uh, but when we start with the ones that are praying the prayer need and the other ones praying in this unknown language, God has taken his prayer language, putting together, now I can increase your measure. And it became very personal and it became very good. And all of a sudden, we started seeing an increase in miracles, getting reports back, increase in miracles. All what God wanted to do to start with. Amen. I love it. I love it. Amen. Amen. Not a real guitar player. Didn't really want to do this thing. I wasn't really looking for a job or something else to do. <laughs> but I like to listen to the Lord. And has, even in my old age, he's giving me uh, new things to go by. Praise the Lord. Just getting out of the message this morning. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to close. We're going to, what we're going to do, I'm going to, uh, uh, we're going to close out the live stream service and we'll go ahead and I'll, I'll pray uh, for the food next door. Everybody here is welcome. Amen. Uh, so we have dishes over there. This is the part with fellowship. You get to bring something and share it with everybody else. Amen. So what could be more Christ? Another thing, we have never set up a menu for fellowship. Nope. We never tell anybody what to bring. Whatever shows up, it shows up. Amen? And uh, if, if we need more, oh, yeah, pizza. So if, you, if you're there and you only got a slice of pizza, it's because somebody, one of your brothers and sisters, didn't bring enough for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, but the whole idea is not the meal. You can get that in a good restaurant. But what I want to promise you this morning is you can get good fellowship with the believers. And it's a part of connection, connecting with what God wants to with God's people. It's just a connection. Nothing simple. It's not a big theological thing. It's just connection. Amen? And this is what we do. We do this once a month, so every four weeks we do this. And Harriet, she drives a little car. It looks like a pregnant roller skate, and she's bringing this big pot all like this. So I'm figuring we're, we're okay. I told the guy, guys, get the door. Help her. Look at what she's got. Get the hand truck. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, anybody here needs a touch from you this morning, I pray, Lord, something was said or done that can change the heart, life forever. Yeah. And Father, we pray this morning in the name of Jesus for this fellowship that we're about to partake of right now. I thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace. I thank you for your presence. But Lord, we also thank you for the food that was brought here by somebody else. Ask your blessing upon it. It says in your word, Father, 
that you'll bless your bread and your water and you'll take sickness and disease from the midst of them. We claim that now in the name of Jesus, we call the food blessed. And let the conversation around the table be that that's edifying and uplifting one another to strengthen each other in Christ and give you the praise and give you the honor. And everybody said? Amen. Now, all smile, okay? Praise the Lord. Nothing puts off another person like a frown. Just smile, be happy, let's go have a party.